0: The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at ITZTiger.Music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the BlockHash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out BlockHash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. What's going on, guys? It is Wednesday, May 19th, episode 131, and today I have Michael Gassiorek, CEO of Truth Cartel, a distribution partner for emerging tech specializing in content marketing, PR, and community growth in blockchain. Michael himself is also a founder, creator, and community builder with his education, including studies at Shanghai University of Finance and Uh, university of hong kong and northeastern university all right with that said be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain michael himself truth cartel and everything we have to talk about today enjoy
1: so it has to be for everybody uh and we can kind of you know so that, it's like so. a
0: just a completely different vibe compared to like other festivals yeah. maybe yeah it's a
1: city it's a city and you go there if you wish to treat this festival more power to you but uh, you're, you're going to engage in a social and artistic experiment But besides that you know yeah. laying a bottle it's fantastic one of the best uh festivals i think that's still you know really gotten big and still kept its heart um you know you do the you do the classic uh, trip to Coachella here and there to kind of pick your teeth, see what's yep. up. Uh, I went during a year when a lot of my other artists were playing. Uh, and you know, I'm still I, I still got a lot of love for San Francisco. So uh, I have big support for uh, outside lands. I think outside lands is kind of a cool festival in and out of the city. Um, so that's really special too. Just
0: have you tonight. been to yeah, you've been to other festivals like Coachella, EDC or Ultra or stuff like that? Never went to the electronic ones yet, uh, but, you know, have been Coachella, yeah. Uh,
1: but I have with the pure electronic music ones. The one that I went to last weekend in Miami, and again, you mm-hmm. get a, this kind of strange taste of normalcy, uh, especially after COVID now that I'm recovered. Really, like
0: yeah, really strange taste of there. normalcy. Like, nobody's wearing a mask there. Like, it feels no, like you're in mean, the world.
1: For sure. it's uh, there's, there's this kind of stupid joke. Now, there's no COVID in Miami, but at least people are acting yeah. like that, right? Um, are, you know, it depends on how much you trust the data coming out of the, uh, the sort of local offices. But uh, we've been treating, you know, we have pretty good outcomes considering the uh, case numbers, even without very stringent lockdowns. So uh, it begs the question of what's the right approach. Um, but all that being said, that was a great question to have before we had vaccines. Now we're post-vaccines. We're beginning to distribute those. Best thing to do is get as many of these damn things out there to everybody who wants them mm-hmm. uh, and then get people back to normal, get businesses open back up. So I am, I am on slightly more of the aggressive timeline here, maybe a little more of the libertarian kind of a uh, direction on this. Um, and uh, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the direction that I'm hoping for. What do you uh, think about though? Like
0: in more. terms of Miami's approach to the whole thing, like, do you think it's wise and prudent to act like COVID just is a normal everyday illness and go about everything and do things normally? Or do you think, you know, people should be taking it far more seriously?
1: Well, I'm going to take this perspective from the uh, the the U.S. some petri dish of sorts, or mm-hmm. even the world, sown petri dish. Everyone's um, coming up on an existential threat of some sort. Mm-hmm. The, the threat being the unknown, right? What is COVID? How do we go about it? Right. Um, from perspective of um, their philosophical grounding, right? So if you are um, perhaps it was politicized in America, which is, you know, kind of the, the right. uh, unavoidable, like reality of answering this question about Florida or California, for example. Um, and you've got, you know, a pretty open open uh, lifestyle in Miami and, and Florida, and you've got a pretty closed one in California. And I came from California to Miami, right? Uh, with a little stop in Europe in between. So the, um, you know, you watch you watch how people vote with their feet. As an interesting example of what people think about this, right? There's, uh, you want to see if that actually. Affected people, you look at the um, the seats lost in the House uh, by California. There was a there was a decrease in the population, an increase in California and Texas populations, right? That's you know those people are coming from somewhere. Um, and uh, now that's that's purely like a high level view. In terms of um, you know the the position of COVID, I think. It was uh, The more we know about it, the, the, I think the more, more uh, courageous we can be in our approach to it. Um, you know, if I had the magic wand, uh, vaccinate anyone who wants it, uh, especially the elderly or adverse populations. Uh, progressively, you know, as soon as you can do that, move down to anyone who will absolutely take the vaccine um, and then start opening up uh, things to limited capacity and then to forward capacity over time. Uh, the thing that's lost in the arguments around COVID so far, I think, is um, whether or not uh, there's an emotional toll on the costs of, say, having a business shut down, on being secluded from one's friends, um, on you know, not being able to, to be face-to-face with people. Uh, realities of our world right now, but uh, there are much higher costs than I expect uh, people are working in. So I'm a bit mixed. I'm ambivalent about it right now. My my, I prefer this, but I'm also not an at-risk population, so um, I would definitely put this in front of each individual to decide for themselves. Um, but so far, I personally, in my state of life, my state of health, I'm a fan of what my Miami's doing what California's, uh, California's doing less. So,
0: yeah, I I feel like it's been way way politicized, like in the U.S. in a really bad direction. It's gotten to the point where like the whole vaccine thing is becoming like a religious zealot, like movement where you like need to take it. Or it's like you're, if you don't have the conversation, it's like an issue. I know in some States they're even mandating like children over like 14 or 15 to get the vaccine, just to go to school. Like, I don't know. I feel like politics is kind of starting to push this in like in a really weird direction where it's like almost getting maybe a little too out of hands. I, I don't know. Some States, Like Texas and Florida, like I'm happy that they're kind of opening it up and saying, screw it, because, you know, we've we've been in this for a while and you need the economy to start turning at some point. Right. You need to be able to do normal things and develop immunity and all that and give people the choice of what they want to do. I mean, I guess that's from my libertarian perspective as well. Let the people decide what they want to do. Um, but it's like other states are like going the complete opposite direction, like locking down really hard again, um, telling you what you can and can't do, um, being like o- overly like intrusive in terms of what you do in terms of handling it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just feel like the situation's messed up in America.
1: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, you know, this, it, this interesting argument you made about how we got here um, mm-hmm. and the 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 here i'm describing is uh the sort of politicization of everything um you know we go down that rabbit hole uh it's, it's a deep one but uh, i'll say i don't think it got any better during COVID, because you know for example sports basically shut down right uh mm-hmm. your opportunity to get out of the house shut down like those hobbies shut down uh people are looking for some degree of conflict nonetheless it's human nature uh and uh the political theater became one of the first you know replacements available to people uh, when there really wasn't any other option so it certainly hasn't gotten better over COVID it's so it's a so very natural that uh it, you know got got you know ground them into the meatballs I guess
0: yeah when you can't pack a stadium with fans and have that you know culture aspect of America the whole sport sports culture be there mm-hmm. when the NBA is in a bubble <laughs> like I yeah, don't know I, I, yeah. it's just not the same
1: <laughs> sure I do agree with you there yeah. Are you just sports yourself? I'm actually curious, uh, oh, yeah. you
0: know, kind of like what, 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 the hobbies you got there as well? Yeah, man. I, um, I played a lot of football growing up as a kid and um, did did track and field and wrestling and a little basketball here and there and a mm-hmm. uh, huge football fan, obviously. So it's like devastating to see stadiums completely empty for the most part in most of the country and watching teams play and just feels like it's not the same. It's like watching a scrimmage or um, like a spring football practice or game or something like that. It just doesn't feel the same. It's like, I don't know if your team's actually playing as hard or are they motivated? Um, you got all the opt outs and the players just entering for the draft early or just not wanting to play period. And I don't know. I just didn't like the whole um, aspect around football, especially the last year. And then, you know, just sports in general, just kind of sucked. Like, cause that's like America's culture, Right is sports mm-hmm. so not being able to have that it's like i feel like people like get even more divided and even more upset and angry we have nothing that like kind of brings us together to enjoy so yeah it sucks yeah i feel you there your sports guy? hopefully back soon
1: yeah uh i'm more into sports that uh sports with a projectile or a ball of some sort basketball mm-hmm. football hockey i'm crap at i'm just terrible yeah. like i don't have the coordination but sports that require control over the body um whether that's you know diving or surfing uh really big into snowboarding and big into martial arts I love that
0: I'm all about it nice 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 I I think I've tried martial arts a couple times in my life that that definitely requires a lot of the body same thing with like snowboarding (laughs) because I'm a big skier but yeah we could probably we could probably talk about sports all day but (laughs) my audience is probably like what the hell is going on this is not about blockchain um shoot yeah we can dive right in yeah, yeah. Tell me, but first, like, tell me a little bit about your background, So I'm sure my audience is yeah, like, God. who, who is this Michael guy? Like, well, what's he yeah, doing here just... talking about sports and COVID? So, yeah, sure. <laughs> tell me, your, uh, yeah, tell you me bet, about yourself you and backgrounds, and yeah,
1: yeah. Let's uh, let's start there. So, uh, I was born in Poland. Uh, you know, little young kid, to a uh, computer scientist dad and a teacher mom. Um, so I got you know kind of the both left brain, right brain kind of side of the, side of the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, simple life, but we ended up moving to um, New Jersey at first when we first got in. And, you know, we were a poor family. We basically got started by um, just getting whatever work you'd find. And as we kind of settled in a little bit more of the immigrant mentality, which took my shoulder, and brought us to the right, some of the right places. I ended up getting an internship here, internship there, um, doing stuff in diplomacy when I was young. Then working in advertising, eventually ending up working in tech. Uh, And that's where I found the right mix of like, hey, we're doing the right thing and we're doing it at the right speed. Um, And I really sunk my teeth into tech. That was my first religion uh, of my own choosing at the time, you know, the sort of startup religion. Uh, I went to all the meetups, I got the shirts, I got the business cards, and I wanted to do one of my own very badly. I was studying abroad in college. I was studying international marketing uh, and got my first taste of startups at a startup weekend. We got, you know, uh, a second place that told me we got to do this thing for real, guys. Um, and we ran with that for a little while. Um, I got, you know, enough uh, done in Shenzhen when I was kind of studying there and language immersion, all that kind of stuff on this startup. And eventually an investor from that area, right after college, I was clean out of college, just finished, said, hey, hey that startup you guys work on, you guys want to take it a little more seriously you know, over in Shanghai? Um, and so, um, I basically have been back and forth with you, China and the U S during school, that was kind of my major in international business. Uh, and I eventually said goodbye to my American life and moved to Shanghai to work on this, uh, the startup. Uh, I have told this story before, but it felt like putting, you know, rocket fuel into a beat of Buick or something. Uh, it was the wrong type of fuel for the job. And we realized very quickly, this is not something we wanted to work on. This isn't really a, a good. Uh, project for us or a really good team composition for us. We all have different dreams. Um, and so we shut it down and I went on this sort of journey of trying to figure out what to do with my, my life and work next. Um, and that's when I basically did a, a very, I took a very interesting path to crypto, um, doing first info products, selling books and podcasts and stuff like that um, for uh, this, this you know really interesting entrepreneur. And then that got me recruited to become the editor-in-chief of Startup Grind. Startup Grind is it's a huge um, startup ecosystem and community, mostly known for their events and conferences, but also has a very healthy uh, media footprint at this point. Mm-hmm. And I basically you know, stumbled into building that. Um, you know, Blood, sweat, and tears, three years of work, and, and we kind of looked at the publication there. Um, and I eventually left to try to start my own thing. Which ended up becoming uh, a marketing agency uh, that focused on crypto, with you know a few failed attempts and starts and stops in between. Yeah, um, and that was about like 2017. So I basically wrote the wrote the huge wave of crypto, doing ICOs and marketing and a bunch of other kind of stuff. And eventually got recruited to work at one of my uh, clients and uh, dove headfirst into DeFi.
0: Nice. Well, was there something specific that made you want to get into blockchain and crypto or was it just kind of a happenstance and getting that into that position?
1: Yeah, sure. The, the big thing that I, I'm really curious about in crypto um, has everything to do with uh, what I'm so sort of interested in day to day, which, you know, I maybe a little uh, complicated, whatever, but um, psychology, philosophy were always the things that I found really interesting. You know, how do people interact? Who are they? How does that work? Um, and ultimately, uh, how do you influence and be better? How do you influence yourself to be better? Crypto struck me as the economic layer, right? You find the right, um, you know, philosophical standpoint. Let's say, hey, everyone should own their own 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 their own data, right? Or let's say, um, you know, economic the, the economic uh, lever should be a little bit more uh, in the favor of all instead of the favor of the few. Right? Mm-hmm. You, pick your, you pick your philosophy, you build a protocol around it, and now the philosophy is directly tied to the psychology of human beings through this economic lever of tokens, of uh, the ability to back that project, contribute to that project, uh, be enriched by that project as it succeeds. So um, it was the missing piece between an idea and that idea being you know, adopted by the populace as a belief. Um, and so that struck me as just incredibly interesting, incredibly um, sort of opportunistic. I was looking at the same time with other edge tech stuff. I was looking at space as a, something I could go into as an industry, um, AI. But uh, if we're being honest, nowhere was my skill set most valuable
0: than in crypto. Yeah, you've mentioned DeFi a few times as well. Like, is that something that interests you the most or that has like, really caught your eye? Because I know it's like incredibly popular right now, especially mm-hmm. as a niche, just getting bigger and bigger.
1: Totally. Yeah, sure. So uh, when we say DeFi, we think of decentralized finance, which basically would be, uh, you know, the unbundling of a bank, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and doing some piece of what the bank does better, um, whether that means more, it's more lucrative for the uh, users, or it's more transparent for, the, for everyone participating, or you're able to accomplish something that would otherwise be impossible due to do regulation or, uh, speed or cost otherwise in, in uh, standard banking uh, sector. And my gosh, like there's, there's like reasons why it's important to do just because, hey, this will give more people economic opportunity. And there's reasons why it's just fun to do because it's just like such an exciting ecosystem to be part of right now because everything's moving so fast. Um, so you're standing on the intersection of both like exciting and important uh, being DeFi, I think. Um, and I've loved it since we, you know, since I really started getting into it, I'm in it personally, uh, I, I manage a small portfolio, a small personal portfolio of, um, investments in DeFi tokens, as well as DeFi yield farming opportunities. So I move my money around and, and try to find ways to make it grow. Um, mostly in, in sort of crypto in that regard. And then I also work full-time, uh, by day on a really successful DeFi protocol called TrueFi, which does, um, credit modeling and and collateral free loans, mostly like big institutions. So we just so we just took that piece from banks, we put it on the blockchain, decentralized it so that we wouldn't have to you know, be responsible for um, every component of it. We handed off the keys to the community um, and now we're running you know, tens of millions of dollars in loans um, after launching November to pretty big companies. And the rewards are going right to the lenders. They're not going to the quote unquote bank. We took them out. Mm-hmm. So you can make some fat returns, you know, 50, 60% on your money. Um, just for holding it in there for, for a year. When but no risk, of course.
0: Yeah, when you say collateral free loans, like what do you mean exactly? Because so every time I think of loans in the space, it's mm-hmm. like everything's collateralized. Exactly. Right. So
1: think about your credit card right? Your credit card is an uncollateralized loan for 30 days, right? You have a credit limit. Let's say your credit limit is 30,000 um, bucks. You can spend any amount under that. And so long as you pay it off the next, before the end of the next, before the end of the month, you're chilling. You're all set. Uh, and that's what we're basically trying to bring on chain. Now we're not trying to do it for retail users like you and me. We're doing it for big institutions like banks lending to banks or the government lending to banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking, you know, 10k minimum, right now 10 million maximum, but uh, we're, we're on track to start loaning out up to half a billion over time. Uh, we have borrowers who want that, um, and uh, the interesting thing is it was never possible to do this on blockchain because you would be having to sacrifice something. You sacrifice decentralization, for example, and you have some companies who are doing this kind of stuff um, that are centralized entities. I'm not going to name names, but you know they're pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, you could sacrifice uh, privacy, meaning the, you know, borrowers, for example, would have to be de-anonymized and open to the public. Um, and, you know, you could also so- sacrifice scalability, but in this case, you know, you don't necessarily want to scale to to such a big size just yet, uh, because there is, you know, risk with scale. So let's just take one of those two. There's companies doing it in a centralized fashion. We decided to do it in a decentralized fashion, but we had to remove the bail of anonymity from the borrowers. Right. Mm-hmm. And we had to have enforcement. Right. So whenever a borrower comes on the platform, uh, they basically have to do three things to lower the risk of them running over the money and no one knowing where they went. Uh, they have to reveal the veil of the anonymity. And they do that by completing a standard, you know, know your business thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, send us some due diligence materials, like, you know, how leveraged they are, who they are, how much time they've been in business, that kind of stuff. Right. They lift the veil. It's no longer private. Right. Just like a, you know, go to a bank and get a loan. Uh, the next thing you got to do is uh, basically uh, get approved by the community. So now it's almost as if, and it isn't, but it's almost as if, the people who hold this token, that's uh, tied to our platform, TRU, suddenly make decisions about, hey, this guy, yeah, they're pretty cool. I see, I saw their materials. I know them from Twitter. I, I like their founder. Let's give them a thumbs up. Yeah, let's let this guy take out $10 bucks at a 15% rate or something. That feels good to me. Uh, and the last thing is they have to sign a lending agreement, so that if anything was to hit the fan, uh, they're going to get pulled into court, uh, and they'll be, they'll, that'll happen publicly. So they lose a ton of reputation, which matters for an institution, doesn't matter so much for an individual who just made a million bucks by running away, um, and it definitely matters that they'll get pulled into court because they you know, can't just disappear. Their entity is structured somewhere, there's liable partners, um, it will most definitely uh, go through collections. And so we actually go ahead and collect the money. So uh, we made a concession of privacy, but we made a, a big trade in
0: terms of decentralization. That's been a lot more lucrative. Is this mostly like what you do mainly, or or is it Truth Cartel, or is this like all kind of tied in? Yeah, sure, sure, sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, Truth Cartel was basically the, the agency that got me the job in the first place. Um, Trust Token was a big client at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and um, they just needed some leadership uh, on the marketing side. Uh, I joined them in about uh, a year and a half ago, or so, uh, as of this this recording. And we were at the time known for our stablecoin. You know, mm-hmm. it's a billion-dollar TUSD stablecoin at this point. Um, but uh, you know, marketing commodities isn't that interesting. You might as well be, you know, come up with the campaign, got milk, but for stablecoins, right? They're all the same. Mm-hmm. You're basically marketing a dairy product. It's like just like commodity. It's everywhere. Right. Um, and then we decided we wanted to do more. We decided to go after DeFi. Uh, we had a really good reason to do that. And that became, you know, an, a, an incredible opportunity for me. So I jumped, jumped on board with that. Uh, I still run the agency on the side. Uh, I do DeFi project marketing mostly. We do some stuff with NFTs, uh, NFT marketplaces and that kind of stuff. We do some consulting, and advising. But it's basically, um, you know, Truth go Tell is just a place for me to handle all my, uh, all my projects. Uh, and then Trust Token is where we're really building the future, you know, many hours a day. Uh, across a whole bunch of really great people. So best of both worlds, mostly that. Um, as of the last month, I started doing angel investments as well. Mm-hmm. So starting to put a little bit of money earlier into these companies. Back in the day, it was just, you know, throw a few bucks after an ICO. Now it's like, okay, you got to be, you know, verified and credentialed and um, you have to be a uh, credit investor. So, you know, a little more work, but still really cool opportunities in space. So I, throw, I, I use up for that as well.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a really fun line of work, really does, especially with how exciting the space is um, and, and how fast it's growing. But what's your portfolio look like? You mentioned that you got yourself a little bit of a DeFi portfolio, right? Is it like, sure. like a bunch of swaps, like uni, pancake, and sushi, and whatnot, like all the food sure, sure, ones, sure. or is it like um, mm-hmm. some of the other tokens that are like related to DeFi?
1: Sure. Such a good question. I, I love kind of cutting this stuff up, and um, I'm pretty happy to be pretty open about this Um, you know, I'm, I'm very over leveraged in our own token, TRU. Um, and I, I really believe in it. I really, I hold it, I use it, I vote with it in governance. Um, so a lot of my portfolio is that, uh, and I'm, I've staked my TRU and I'm making great returns on it, um, on the protocol. So that's been fantastic to me, you know, that that's already changed my, uh, like how I make income uh, right there. And so, the biggest reason to to hold Tier for me is just because I'm working on it. But, like, if I believe in it and it creates these amazing yields, I'd be a fool not to. Um, I'm also holding um, a bunch of Ethereum. I'm huge new Ethereum. I think Ethereum is genuinely the future. Um, And I hold uh, maybe half as much in Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin's great, but I think Ethereum is the future. Why do you Uh, think Ethereum is the future? Yeah. Uh, Well, so far, because that's where the entire ecosystem of uh, crypto has been built, right? You can argue, you know, very substantively that there are great chains out there. There are great layer one chains, you know. Uh, I'm personally a big fan of Avalanche, Algorand. uh, I think Solana is doing really incredible things. Polkadot has some really interesting solutions. There are other ones that I also like. You know, I won't go all down the whole list like Near right. Protocol and so on. But there's a lot of really great people there working on some really substantive technology. And um, and yet, you know, the it's it's how do you catch up with Facebook, right? Uh, how do you catch up with the Apple I, iPhone store, right? Um, there's such a lock-in to some degree right now on Ethereum. Uh, so much innovation is happening in Ethereum uh, and optimizations to scale it. Like the optimism updates um, that will improve the gas fees and stuff are coming as well. That will make it a lot more easy and cheap to use. But I think the the future is you know kind of already baked in. That's not to say I'm not hedging my bets. Um, you know I'm, I'm holding uh, you know some Luna. I'm holding some Algorand. Um, you know exploring Polkadot and Solana. But um, the, it is it is my opinion at this time that this the the shall we say chain wars. Will kind of pan out in this kind of like hybridized way. The first thing is that there's going to be uh, specialty chains, chains designed for particular use cases, right? Um, or at least designed for generalizable use cases that have become popular for a single use case. Let's say Dapper Labs NFTs, right? Let's say, um, you know, uh, Solana for trading with the high throughput is amazing and they have the right, you know, maybe team for it. Uh, A blockchain that's gonna win the gaming and gambling side of things, for example, it's gonna be the best place for that. Um, The the jury is out on what those use cases are and which chains will win them, right? But I do genuinely believe that there will be like a core chain, you might say, a core OS with these uh, other layer one chains that will be specialty use cases for particular things that Ethereum just isn't built and specialized for, perhaps, it doesn't have to be the best for everything. It has to be the best for the most things. the be a Petri dish, such that those things can have some outgrowth. And then I think the um, next thing will be interoperability. Now interoperability will mean that you could jump in between chains super easy. Um, and I think it'll be easier and easier over time. And it'll be wrapped on some beautiful UI so you won't even know that you're doing it. Um, but when that happens, the chain with the most growth and adoption at the core with the biggest developer community, with the biggest, you know, footprint will be the one we will build and then bridge from right mm-hmm. so i think interoperability and just how far ahead ethereum is um and also that it's pretty great for most things but won't be the best for everything and we'll have, we'll have other layer ones for that that's why i'm so bullish on ethereum i think it's you know it's the virtual computer of, of the of the world you know it's the new internet it's um uh, a backbone of this whole movement that we're experiencing right now I'll just jump through a few other tokens that I'm excited about while, while we're doing this. Uh, I'm definitely excited about your DeFi stuff. Uh, I think, you know, Wired, um, which is kind of like a money market, like it's a bit like a uh, intelligent investor, like your, your Charlie Schwab intelligent investor thing, um, is pretty great. Uh, it's like the DeFi Bitcoin, you could say, uh, into the, a lot of the big um, DeFi projects like Aave, uh, you know, Link, I think is has uh, got an amazing community. Um, and then Uniswap and Sushiswap, big holder of those and, and playing with those, those ecosystems. And then, you know, I've got a bunch of stable coins that I'm using to farm with, uh, to earn yields with and stuff like that. A handful of other, you know, crap coins that uh, I won't mention here, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think that that's, that's a pretty good portfolio. Heavy TRU, heavy DeFi, uh, heavy Ethereum, Bitcoin with a, a smattering of, you know, long shots in between.
0: Nice. What do you think about Uniswap? I know they got their big version three rollout happening tomorrow. And I know a lot of people are excited about it and it potentially being, you know, like the world's or one of the world's largest, like efficient liquidity platforms in, in terms of scale and where they can take it. I'm not, do you have any thoughts on that? Or are you watching it yeah, to see sure. what happens?
1: Yeah, sure. When they first made the announcement, this was so complicated that they had to invade, mm-hmm. invade to, literally invent new uh, new, like, um, liquidity pool nomenclature mm-hmm. to be able to describe how this works, right? Um, And then as I, you know, read a few more me, threads about it and that kind of stuff, uh, it became really interesting. So the thing that I think is most interesting about what they're launching is the ability to um, set your price bands for liquidity. Now... Uh, I'll, I'll do like a tiniest brief explanation. But basically, the way that the uh, crypto marketplace works is you have, you know, you, you help create liquidity in the market by submitting, um, you know, two sides of the trade. You want to maybe earn a little bit of money on every time a transaction is made between USDC and ETH. You take 50 50 ETH USDC, you put them up on, let's say, Uniswap or SushiSwap, and then you basically make a percentage of every trade, right? Now you're exposed to the underlying assets. You're exposed to the balance between underlying assets, you might suffer a permanent loss. We can go way deeper on that, but it's fairly technical stuff. The thing that Uniswap did that's super interesting is allow you to basically create almost like liquidity providing stop losses, right? Mm-hmm. It says, hey, I'll, I'll provide liquidity, but only if the price of the asset is between this band, right? Um, and I think this will make for really awesome stablecoin pools, um, because you can set that you want the band only to be between, you know, 0.99 cents and point, 1.01 cents. So that's gonna be super efficient, um, you know, stable coin liquidity, which is great. It's gonna, so suddenly, Uniswap is competing with Curve, right? You gotta watch mm-hmm. out for that, that's interesting. Um, and then, you know, what I do think it'll do is it will also create the, the barrier to entry to becoming an LP, a liquidity provider, uh, is gonna rise because the best LPs are actually gonna be using bots. They're gonna be you know, uh, sending very tight bands, moving their bands. Um, it's gonna make it a little harder to just you know, throw your money into a liquidity pool for the best, um, which you know, I think would be good for the ecosystem, but it will definitely start pushing people out a little bit of the same way that I think ASIC miners pushed out some people. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you can mine with your graphics card and you're a gamer, Great, make a few bucks during the evenings when you're going to sleep or something. Um, but when you have to have an ASIC miner to mine the the next hot coin, you're you're just blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to make LPing a little bit more of a specialty uh, activity. Uh, but I hope I'm wrong. I do hope I'm wrong. I think it's exciting. It was hard to understand, and I think now the world's watching.
0: What's Uniswap going to do? So you think if that goes well for Uniswap, it's going to like grow its market share and like raise that bar quite a lot, or do you think? other swaps out there are able to kind of keep up with that?
1: I think the, um, the DEX ecosystem is so ruthless. It's so competitive yeah. that they're, uh, you know, every DEX is trying to do something to kind of level up on each other. And then they're also, you know, shall we say, borrowing the best features from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they, they, Uniswap did a very interesting thing with this update. This is something that most people did not catch. They did not put their code under a very standard uh, creative license. They put it under—it was not just purely open source. It was under the kind of license that would allow them to sue anyone who copy to pursue them or cease and desist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who copied them, uh, I think, within a one to three year period or something. Uh, I don't have the exact details, but uh, that was a nice little defensive play. Um, I, I think that this update will be very good for certain pools. Um, I don't think it's going to steal, you know, uh, hype coin farming from PancakeSwap. Uh, I don't think it's going to steal the simply crazy set of features that SushiSwap has. Yeah. SushiSwap does so many things, lending, and onsen, which will give you more rewards and all this kind of fun stuff. I think I think you are going to start seeing these these dexes differentiating a little bit more, simply just then instead of just copying each other's features and and just being aggressive on marketing and incentives. Um, so I'm inclined to say this is good for you as well. I think I'm inclined to say it's good for dexes, um, generally
0: speaking. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting when it rolls out. I know how much hype is behind it right now, and it's it's uh, definitely kind of fun to watch. It's such a cool space too, just being able to have a decentralized platform where you don't have to rely on people necessarily and you know get the same type of resources monetary resources that you know are, are hard to get just traditionally so i don't know it's, it's a really fun interesting space in blockchain that's like creating a really good use case
1: and uh, let me actually ask you a little bit more about uh how you're dabbling in crypto you know um are you more so trying to invest uh
0: trade um you know actually build market yeah, I'm I'm purely an investor, so <laughs> I just uh, I have a portfolio through, through the company and the company owns a bunch of different stuff. Everything from, you know, just hard crypto to different digital assets to virtual land to you know, various NFTs, you name it, like it's just a wide scope of things, trying to stay balanced mm-hmm. in areas we think will do really well. Like DEXs are another one, like mm-hmm. loading up and things like Uniswap and Pancake and Sushi, just because we know the direction it's going and where it'll end up. So it it's very diversified, but in very specific niches that are hot right now, just because those are the ones that are probably going to see the biggest growth over the next yeah, year. The for sure. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Actually, kind of leads into my last question, too. I was going to ask you, what do you think? Um, you know, the rest of 2021 is going to look like because it's kind of an interesting point in the market where there's a lot of stuff that's been flat for a couple of months. Yep, yep, yep. But there's other things that are like really taking the limelight, especially Ethereum, where mm-hmm. even Bitcoin is completely flat too. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious. Yeah, if I love you looked at it, what your thoughts might be.
1: Sure. I mean, I'd love to see Ethereum rip. You know, uh, yeah. it's, it's great for, good for everybody for the most part. It's the tide that lifts all boats. Um, you know, uh, I, I want to get us into some of your sort of investment pieces here, too, but uh, my, my take right now is that, uh, generally speaking about crypto, I think it has uh, macro cycles and then micro cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, macro cycles would be bearable market, right? Uh, micro cycles will be what is the current hype trend. Um, and I think, you know, DEX is where the hype trend for a while. Uh, You know, we moved through a whole bunch of them recently. I think we're coming past the tip of the NFT hype cycle. I think we might be moving into a hype cycle that will prioritize DAOs as interesting or that might prioritize additional, you know, uh, institutional investment. We had a bit of institutional investment hype cycle uh, a little ways back when everyone was putting Bitcoin on their treasuries. Um, And, uh, you know, beyond that, I'm actually curious to see the hype cycle that we would certainly benefit from is credit like credit lines would be one, like the idea of credit on the blockchain will unlock a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and so I think TrueFi is pretty early there. So we're just crossing our fingers from when it's our turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so from like a microcycle, I think you know, NFTs are probably gonna be uh, very susceptible to any sort of bear activity, like any bearish activity. I think they're gonna start to get hit pretty hard. I think that they were eventually in a big bullish cycle because uh, there was so much free money in DeFi especially uh, that when you run out of Lambos to buy, then, you know, the next thing you want is a sexy image for your Twitter profile. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking that NFTs will actually, you're already seeing that based on how much activity is, uh, happened over the last months. There's, there's a real downward cycle, uh, since the sale of two very hot, uh, punks and the sale of the people project that, um, you know, definitely put the wind out of the, the of, uh, NFT sales. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems DeFi is picking back up. It seems that there's a lot more uh, layer one chain wars happening right now, which is great because that means a lot more investment in marketing, a lot more investment in ecosystem development. Um, So the chain wars are, I think, a good thing as a whole, especially with interoperability is at play. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm definitely seeing infrastructure uh, improving and developing and and kind of getting adoption, whether that's StoreJ um, or it's, um, you know, Filecoin, you know, having yeah, the big launch this year. Uh, another big project that I love is uh, Akash Network, which does uh, you know cloud compute. That uh, they've been doing pretty well recently as well. Um, so I'm seeing infrastructure play out in a really important way. I think more, more of the world will move on to infrastructure over the end of the year. Um, but uh, you know, I'm actually I'm, I'm watching for when that sort of like uh, that bullish bearish uh, sort of signal turns for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And right now, it just seems like whenever there's a bit of a bearish dip, there's just a lot more fire in the in the furnace. You know, there's just a lot more um, enthusiasm and, and energy. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll repeat what I hear uh, from some of the folks that I follow on Twitter, who you know have been in the industry for even longer than I have, um, that this time is different. That this is in the beginning, it was hype. Now it's there's hype still, but it's mixed with adoption. Um, you're seeing, you know, MetaMask wallets grow. You're seeing people asking about how to actually use the Ethereum, how to stake it. Um, You know, the the Coinbase uh, IPO definitely helped us out to bring it to the mainstream. Um, So I'm really cautiously optimistic. I've been through bear cycles, uh, you know, long ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I've seen, you know, a few things like the the macro and the micro elements. Um, And uh, I, I am inclined to say that a lot has happened to, to put uh, a lot of um, sustainability behind this push, despite how much froth you might get, you have the bounce, right? I look at some of the, you know, um, yield farming rewards as like, okay, this is just outrageous. This is not going to sustain itself. Uh, but then I look at some of the things that people are building that are, you know, really beautiful, simple, elegant, um, you know, props to Luna, for example, on, the, on their building. I think it's really beautifully designed uh, and, and really well fit together. Um, and I'm like, wow, you know what? This is kind of happening. Um, so all in all, I'm, 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 optimistic long-term. Um, I think that a lot is a lot of, of like narratives that yet to play out in this, in this bear, in this bull cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, if I'm going to be, if I, when I prepare to see a more conservative cycle play out, what I'm doing is I'm moving more money to stable coins, putting those stable coins into earning opportunities. I'm very bullish, I'll uh, convert those stable coins back into Ethereum, dump it into whatever hype coin I think is really interesting and LP, right? So, so I'm kind of playing in the DeFi space in that regard, um, but you know, I got that not enough dollars to buy the dip problem. So my portfolio allocation is probably speaking worlds about how I feel about it.
0: What do you use to gauge whether the market, you know, is really in a a bull cycle or a bear cycle or is, you know, dead and quiet? A lot of people use Bitcoin as a metric. Some people use Ethereum. Some just use the narratives in the space. Is there anything you look at in particular that helps you kind of gauge what direction everything's going, even if it's at a micro level?
1: Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So um, basically, I think I would put it into uh, a few categories here. So Mm -hmm. the first one is, uh, you know, technical indicators. Um, and then for, um, for that, there's a, there's a technical indicator I really like called market cypher, mm-hmm. uh, pretty intelligent way of, of seeing what the trend line is. Uh, and then another one that I really like is the verb, Burb, verb indicator, um, from, uh, the Burb Nesk folks, uh, another, a fellow Polish, uh, guy who's just a very sophisticated technical trader with a huge following who's designed something really, really intelligent, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the reading indicators. So there is some of this technical indicator content where I'm actually you know, trying to suck that up and I get that you know, typing to my phone. Hey, the sentiment has changed. The technical sentiment has changed. Maybe change your bots from trading to bullish to bearish, whatever it is. Um, and so technical indicators, number one. Uh, but hey, I'm not sophisticated enough. nor do I have enough time to actually read them on a particular coin myself. I will read an amalgamated report of Market Cipher and the Verb Indicator as a way of getting uh, sort of my PA side satisfied, like my brain, yeah, uh, you know, to satisfy my heart, you could say. Uh, I make sure to, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. Uh, I'm on Twitter, you know, posting, reading, mm-hmm. interacting. Uh, and I have a pretty good list of folks that I, um, that I engage with and, and I track. Uh, most, I mean, frankly, they're you know, mostly anonymous investors and traders, uh, you know, various animals, you know, memes, couches, uh, you know yeah. at this times we really kind of the way uh, and i get a sense of their sentiment i get a sense of what they're shilling i get a sense of when they're bullish bearish um and uh, you know i know well enough personally that i might you know hit him up and say hey, what are you thinking about uh, say you know things turning around a little bit in december um or you know this uh, this proposal that we got for additional cap gains you know it's not gonna go into effect time soon it's a little performative. i think it was a great time to buy the dip okay great Am i might think what are you thinking okay great let's buy that dip um, and then uh, last is uh, just a little bit of the uh, activity I have in my workplace as well as with my other trader friends. Um, we'll have a little channel, we'll, you know, see how they're, one guy's trading options, the other guy is, you know, uh, trading stocks. I'm going to be getting crypto, we're telling each other what we see in the market beyond crypto, right? They're my pulse for, for like outside crypto market. Um, so those three indicators for me, it's technical, social. And then sort of uh, in-depth community centric from crypto, like the people in front of the pack, they give you a pretty good outlook, which isn't to say I always make money, um, but it's a
0: pretty good, uh, I think, way to cover your bases. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, before we wrap it up, where do people find you on Twitter? Or are you mostly on yeah, Twitter? For sure. or where are you? Twitter
1: uh-huh. is the best possible place. Uh, I got a funky last name, Gasiorik. It's Polish. Mm-hmm. And you're going to spell that uh, for my Twitter handle. It's Gasiorik M. And that's spelled G-A-S-I-O-R-E-K-M. Um, and uh, that's where, you know, I dump a bunch of my thoughts and dump a bunch of links. We can find all the other links to the world about me. You can find links to the agency and all the kind of clients i worked with. If you guys need any marketing help, whatever, you can tap me there. Uh, but these days, I'm probably more interested in actually doing investing than marketing advising. Uh, it's, you know, a good enough time in my career where I want to actually work with great projects. Maybe once we have the technology and the team and the um, you know, it's an economic um, model, but maybe do not have the marketing. And I would love to just help them take it all the way to, to success. Um, that's kind of where I'm thinking about now. That's what people should definitely reach out to me for if you got
0: some cool ideas. You should change your first name to ETH and then you can be ETH Gas Yorick. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a cool fun pun there.
1: That's actually kind of funny. Actually, that uh, <laughs> GasYork.ETH would be uh, a nice way to have a little tag.
0: That's pretty clever. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a pretty, um, pretty cool one.
1: Let me actually ask, uh, you know, while we're wrapping up here, uh, maybe you could share your portfolio a little bit with us, yeah. and, uh, whether it's the companies or your own. Uh, it sounds like you guys are very diversified um, and you're diversifying not just in different tokens and theses of tokens, just diversifying different assets, virtual real estate, you know, mm-hmm. NFTs and what have you. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about how you guys have chosen to, you know, allocate your portfolio
0: and some yeah, of things of that course. you're seeing are hot right now? Yeah, I actually get this question asked a lot. So it might be a good time for me to to kind of dive into it for a second. But I I look Mm -hmm. at it from two different ways. Like there's a a profit perspective and then there's, I I guess, a narrative perspective. So um, from a profit perspective, what I'll try to do, I guess this kind of turns me into a bit of a swing trader or sometimes even a day trader, depending on what's going on but I'll look for something that's going to move, you know, 10%, you know, in this kind of market, 10% is easy to find relatively easy. So if you have enough capital put down in the right position and you can find a 10% move and you can capture five, six, 7% of the 10% and you give yourself a buffer and for when it comes back down and you think you should get out, then generally you can, you can make pretty good money. And just as long as you have a sizable amount of capital and you're paying a lot of attention. So, from a profit perspective, um, that's what I generally try to do. I try to find different opportunities. What's what's popular? What's moving? What's and then I group those together into one category, and then I'll trade and profit based on that when I when I need to or when I feel mm-hmm. like I need to. And then, from I guess a narrative perspective, it's I look at all the different possible and existing niches that are growing quickly in the space, like DeFi, for example. Um, decentralized storage or um, staking or yield farming, you know, on and on and on and on. Like I look at those different niches and I like ask myself, what are the top ones in that space? Which ones are the best competition so I can hedge against myself? Because even when I'm losing money, I still want to be winning in some, um, you know, some sense. (laughs) So it's sometimes I like to hedge against what I initially think anyways. So I'll find a niche. Let's say it's DeFi. Oh, let's say I invest in Uniswap. I'm probably going to invest in its closest competition, which could be Sushi mm-hmm. Swap or Pancake Swap or something else that pops up. Mm-hmm. But also look at it from a, a technical perspective, also from a TA perspective, like where the technology is at, how good is the team, who's on that team, are they more or less hype driven, are they more or less very open about their developments and what's going on. Um, take Cardano and Charles Hoskinson, for example, Charles Hoskinson Mm -hmm. is very well known, but he's also very vocal, very outgoing and talks about, you know, Mm -hmm. not just Cardano, but everything else they do with IOHK and, um, you know, his life too. And you, you start to really feel for the team. And I think that's part of the reason Cardano has done so well he's been very open about the project and honest. And then there Mm -hmm. are others that are well-known, but that aren't as open and talking about what's going on or they don't get as much done. So I won't name names on that perspective, but <laughs> look after the show. Yeah. But, you know, looking at all those different areas, you can kind of start putting different groups and categories together of what will play out really well. And maybe as short as six months, maybe as long as a couple of years. Um, and that's generally where I take my longer positions So the last two years, we've definitely done well with that, especially with NFTs too. Um, There's some NFTs that we've bought for a couple hundred bucks that we've sold like north of 10, 20 grand easily. And it's just shocking, like some revaluation on crypto arts and um, virtual lands and and stuff like that. And that's really just scratching the surface of what you can eventually do with an NFT. And, And I think the most exciting part about that is it's all... Ethereum driven right now. Yep. And at some point you'll have these, you know, chain wars, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, right. They're going to step in and then there's going to be legit competition for Ethereum for better or worse. Either Ethereum is going to grow and thrive in that environment or it's going to lose market share. And that's just kind of how competition works in a free sure. decentralized, you know, competitive space. So I don't know. We look at it from all those different perspectives and we just put together the best portfolio in our minds mm-hmm. how it's going to perform long-term. And then we also have short-term goals as well. So yeah. we, we separate the two just in case. Sure. Could you speak a little bit about NFTs from an investment perspective? What, what, what in NFTs? Cause it's so diverse, sure. like in, in terms of like crypto art, um, digital art, um, collectibles, um, trading cards. Um, I, I think there's like two different kinds like there's different categories and different use cases but the, there's ones that i think have actual value and ones that are just completely subjective and it's like i can't believe that sold for seven million dollars like there's a, there's a crypto punk that sold for like seven billion dollars and i just have no idea yeah. why like like it's just art i guess rare attributes supposedly yeah exactly and then there's other things that have a little bit more value, like it's actual piece of real world lands that's a real mm-hmm. estate put on the blockchain that sells, or a mm-hmm. uh, has some unlockable yep. content to, to meet a famous yeah. person or you get it. Sure. Free... So let's,
1: let's speak about the utility free art style NFTs, right? Because uh, I think, you know, you and I can, um, what I'm really curious about is uh, the perception of value and then the change in the perception of value. Mm-hmm. But, but and when there are assets that are tied to real-world goods or real-world experiences, we can value them on the basis of their real utility. But uh, I wonder just how you guys value from an investment perspective, things that are free of utility and purely based on subjective value, uh, possibly subjective value with low liquidity yeah. and changing value based on perception. So that's, it's a really wild investment class for me it uh, is. Just like investing in
0: art. So let me break it down like this. So like in terms of like digital art, The only stuff we invested in terms of digital art had to do with artists we knew really well that had really strong but small followings that were grinding away at it. Like, that's all they were going to do. We knew a couple of years ago those artists were going to do very well. So we, we loaded up on stuff like that early on, and that panned out really well. Um, it's just it's just really hit or miss because unless you know the artist or you've been around them enough, and um, a lot of them I've even had mm-hmm. on the podcast, and it's awesome seeing their, them grow because art, it's like anyone can create art. You can create a masterpiece, but if no one knows who you are, why would they buy it? But you, you could draw a doodle or a blue line through a black canvas, and if you're incredibly famous, someone's going to drop a million dollars on it, right? Sure. So it's really, really subjective. So we're really careful what it is we buy in terms of art. Um, but in terms of utility, um, you can look at things from, you know, real estate to virtual real estate, like decentralized sure. crypto boxes, things like that. And if you have a vision yeah, yeah. for VR and um, metaverse, you know, type of uh, thrills, you know, there's a real strong future and proposition there that gives NFTs a lot of utility in terms of value as well. So there's some good plays there as well. And then collectibles is an interesting area. If it's like really popular and it's limited and it's been popular for a while, it might be a good investment. Like CryptoKitties, for example, it, it was like with the first one, one of the first ones, and it's been popular like ever since. And it's they've fairly done fairly well and held their value and gone up. So that would present a good investment to consider versus um, or crypto for example, they've been around for a long time and are yep. going up in value versus something that's brand new because it's going to be in a very saturated space. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's difficult to, to really gauge. It takes more than one conversation or one sit down to really yeah, figure out what it is. It takes many conversations to be like, okay, we're like 80% confident this will probably do well in a few years or we're not so confident that that'll do well. Like, it's just, it it feels like it takes so much more, um, focus and research looking into it versus even investing and speculating in a shit coin (laughs) in a lot of ways, because at least that you can predict to some degree, what kind of hype cycle is going to push it whereas you can't do that with NFTs.
1: Exactly. You can see the, the tokenomics. You can see the makeup of a team from a pure credentialing perspective. How are you going to credential an artist and how are you going to see the tokenomics of an NFT? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what I'm hearing you say is, um, you know, with some of your biggest successes in NFT investings uh, have been in uh, effectively um, helping artists break out, right? Getting in early, yeah. help, you know. Funding some of their very earliest uh, projects—that seems like a really outsized opportunity for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hearing you say that the investments that are also holding strong are the ones that have been around longest, and you've got your, you know, whether crypto kitties or crypto punks, which you know I'm a fan of as well. Yeah. Um, you know, are solid places to kind of put your investments. Mm-hmm. I wonder though, um, how do you think a bear market infects uh, NFT investments? Because I wonder if they're going to be—they're uh, going to—they're going to face outsized depreciation.
0: Yeah, it you know that's a good question. I think right now NFTs are still so damn early on and it's really kind of a bubble at the moment. Like I don't see them go anywhere like I think they're going to be around indefinitely as much as Bitcoin will because I think they're here to stay. I don't see them disappearing and they have so many potential use cases. They can do a lot of good. I just think it's super early and if we were to go into some type of bearish cycle or we had a downtrend or something negative happened, or there were some regulations that came in, in terms of you know N- NFTs versus other tokens because they're non-fungible um, and represent like property. I don't know how, how they rule on that or what they do. Then yeah. that's something that might really hurt the market in the short term, but it's a hell of an investment opportunity because I don't see it going anywhere. I just see it evolving and kind of rolling with the punches. Um, I I think we're just scratching the surface because most NFTs it's art and collectibles, to be honest, Mm -hmm. that that's pretty much all it is. And then people creating their own art and their own collectibles. And that's great. The problem is it's oversaturated in those two categories. The the real categories are going to be like, what kind of utility can you attach to it? If you're a music artist, can you attach your next hit single or album as unlockable content? Can you do something promotional? Can you sell a venue ticket? to maybe like Burning Man or something like that? Mm -hmm. Um, Or can you sell the ability to meet your favorite celebrity or artist as an unlockable content? Like how much utility can you attach to it? Could it be real estate and real world land or a car or a title? Um, Could could it, you know, it could be just about anything. Like, I think we're just stepping into the realm of what you do from a utility perspective and what you attach to it um, to tie it back to the real world that and then metaverse and gaming because i think that's the next level of economics that we're just starting to scratch the surface of as well so i think that one's a bit more far off maybe half a decade maybe even an entire decade but Mm -hmm. nfts Mm -hmm. will have a huge huge role in terms of online digital gaming marketplaces in world um, items and um, validity and um, you know stuff like that so it's another thing to consider investing in early while it's super cheap. Um, but it's hit or miss, you know, you, you got to just kind of buy a big bucket of stuff and, and put it away for a while. If you go. Yeah, that sure
1: enough. Sure enough. Uh, I can also see it becoming very useful in land rights, uh, legal mm-hmm. contracts, you know, so many of these things that we're going to see NFTs kind of play a role. Uh, it's a cool investment strategy. The NFT side, I haven't uh, yeah. heard enough uh, good takes on it.
0: Yeah, it, I'm most excited to see OpenSea diversify and allow uh, Tezos NFTs because I want to see how that mm-hmm. affects the Ethereum NFTs and if it's actually popular mm-hmm. um, because that'll determine whether or not we have these like chain wars because like what what's the chain wars going to be between Ethereum and um, everything else? Like Because we've had all kinds of other use cases and nothing has really challenged Ethereum yet. Um, right. Will it will it actually be NFTs? Will DeFi on a different chain take off? Will um, yield farming on a different chain take off? Like some niche is going to pop up that's going to challenge Ethereum and its status. I just don't think it's going to be de- displaced like super quickly. It's going to... I agree with you. But we'll see.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and, uh, you know, seemingly the biggest reason to go to another chain right now is to capture yield that you can't get on Ethereum because it's been farmed out by too many converts Right. So like the cope airdrop brought so many people to Solana. It's crazy. Uh, Pancake swap, yeah, like yield farming and equity and providing brought some people over to BSC. Um, but where were those, but like that's PayPal paying people five bucks per user. You know, that's mm-hmm. that same stuff as back in the
0: day. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited
1: to see where it goes, man.
0: Yeah. Me too. Me too. I got to get going though. But um, dude, awesome, awesome conversation had a, a lot of fun talking about this stuff. It's not very often that you, you know, get to sit down and do that with yeah. you know, ordinary people that you don't really know. So yeah, I appreciate the mm. conversation. I'm sure a lot Absolutely. of us will as well.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the uh the take on how to invest in NFTs. That was an interesting one. I gotta update my portfolio here, and diversify a bit. Yeah, man. Recommend it. Thanks for your time, brother. All right, see you.